The meat of live is Christ. The meat to die is gain. Every moment in between, there'll be joy and there'll be pain. I can't worry about the future or change a thing about my past. I've got this moment to believe and I'm gonna make it last. I am filled to be emptied. This is Pastor Michael Rogers from The Jar at 702 H Street Northeast in Ardmore, Oklahoma. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. Father God, we just find our identity in you. You are our Abba Father, and we love you for that. Father God, continue to speak to us yes, through this, uh, this teaching. Um, if there is any non-truths that pass through our lips, may they be quickly forgotten. May only your truth ring, ring true. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we just love you, Lord, and we ask that you continue to speak to our mind our heart, and our spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Imagine that you're a jar. And imagine that um, your, the whole, your whole role is to be filled with water and to be used uh, on things. So imagine as that jar, over time, people have picked you up and they've used you to pour out a refreshment for someone, to water plants, to um, to wash things and cleanse things. Um, but over time, as people use your, your water, what happens? It depletes. It gets lower and lower and lower. Not only that, but the people who are handling you, and not necessarily people who understand exactly what they're doing sometimes, or maybe they just are a little absent-minded or they don't think, and so you get dropped and you get chips and cracks. And, and after a while, not only not only are you being depleted because of how you're being used, but you're also being depleted because the cracks in your life are just causing that, that, that water of life to run out of you, okay? You're a jar. You have no way to move yourself. So as you're being depleted, if you are relying only on yourself to be filled again, it will never happen, will it? And over the course of time, you will find that you are empty. And it's not a good kind of empty because there's nothing left. What you need in order to be filled back up is for someone to come along and mend your cracks, fill in your chips, and bring you to the water and dip you into the water and bring you back out again, filled up. Then you can go on refreshing and cleansing and, uh, and doing all the things that you were doing before. But now, that person who lovingly put you back together is the one handling you. And you now don't have to worry about all of those other things that you worried about before. You can just worry about being brought to the well and brought to service. Brought to the well and brought to service. At the jar, we call that being filled by God to be emptied.
for others. We've been going through the questions we can ask ourselves about to, to kind of check ourselves where we are as disciple makers. And the first three questions, this is the last sermon of the first three questions, which are, am I fervently pursuing my faith? Am I invested completely in the mission? And am I learning my unique shape that God has put me into? Okay. And so as, as we are looking at those things, recognize that what we've learned so far is how God fills us. Next week, we're going to ask, am I loving the one in front of me? And that's an emptying. Or you're going to ask, am I expecting God to move in real life? And that's an emptying. We're going to ask, am I discipling someone? And that's an emptying. This is the end of the being filled, preparing us for the beginning of being emptied. But I have noticed when God does this in different situations, what he does is he helps you see the transition. So the last part of the lesson is also the transition to the new part of the lesson. And that's what we hope that you hear today. We are being filled so that in this transition we know that emptying is coming. Now the interesting thing about that is, if you've been paying attention, is we have done some teaching on emptying before, haven't we? So guess what's going to happen when we teach on emptying over the next few weeks? You're also going to learn about being filled. Because God is never doing one or the other. Think of yourself instead of being a separate jar that's brought constantly to the well. Think of yourself as being one of many jars where the water is pouring into you and it's, it's overfilling you and pouring into someone else and overfilling that person and filling into the next person. So it's more like a fountain. It's a wellspring of life from the source that's constantly filling us and asking us to constantly be emptied. And if we put ourselves in that position, then we will learn how to be disciple makers together. And we will change what's happening in Ardmore so that God gets the glory, not so that we get the glory. That's what we're trying to teach you over these last few months and over the next couple of months. We are filled by God, and that filling never stops. And we are emptied for others, and that emptying will never stop. But because we have a blessed God who has promised us that he will give us what, what we give out, he will give back to us, pressed down, shaken up, spilling over, we will never have to worry about, we will never have to worry about running out of the living water because the Holy Spirit will always be there to fill us. That should get us so excited that we can't see straight. That should put us in such a mood and such an understanding of our God and the giver that he is and the giving that we get to do, not that we have to do, that we get to do, that we should be overflowing with the joy of our salvation. We should be understanding what it means to, to, um, to be accountable to each other and to recognize what it means to, to love each other and to be in relationship with him and with each other in such a way that the joy we feel 
influences the people around us instead of the hopelessness and the despair and the worry and the anxiety that's out there influencing us. That's what we're trying to convey to you, what we want you to hear, what we want you to see. So if you start, if you're starting to understand that notion, then the consider question today will make more sense. If you're still trying to grasp it, don't worry. This question will also lead you down that road. And our consider question today is, what drives me to serve God and others? So notice it says what drives me, not how, right? We spend a lot of time talking about how to serve others in the church, but we don't really talk about what drives us to do that. Of course, the churchy answer is, well, I love Jesus, so I'm supposed to, right? But what we really want to look at is what drives, what, 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 it, what, Gets us excited. What motivates us. What motivates, yes, thank you very much. To go along with what you were saying, in 2005, during experiments aboard the Space Shuttle Columbia, scientists discovered that there were 26 lakes underneath the Sahara Desert that could not be reached and could not be tapped. 26. And it's kind of gut-wrenching to think of all of that water that's underneath all of that sand and all of that desert that cannot be utilized. And I know for Michael and I to think of, it, it's heart-wrenching to think of people who are starving and dying both physically and spiritually because they are, they are spiritual resources that are untapped. Mm, that's good stuff. Okay. Our fear is that you could be missing out on what the Christian life is all about. The Christian life isn't just about, okay, I'm going to come and I'm going to get filled on Sunday and then I'm going to empty to others and how am I going to do that? Where can I get plugged in? What are my hobbies? What, what works best for me? It's so much more than that. It's, it's more about what did God intend for me? So the last two weeks we've learned that what on earth am I here for? Why am I here? We learned... The first week about our identity, right? Like it says in Ephesians chapter 2, For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. He didn't prepare it when we said okay. He didn't prepare it when we said, I believe in Jesus. When did he, when did he prepare it? In advance. Well in advance. Well in advance. He knows your identity. He knows who you are. We are created to do work, good works prepared for us. And then Carrie taught us last week about doing those good works through the spiritual gifts he has given us. Right? We learned that it's not about, we don't work for our salvation. We are actually working out of our salvation. Yeah. Out, of our love for, out of our love for Christ. And he gives us those spiritual gifts to show us how to do that. And in part to unify us in the mission to enlarge the kingdom of God. So in 1 Peter, right, it says each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. Peter says we have gifts and should use them. Our church's mission statement, like Michael said, is filled to be emptied. We're not here just to get filled. We're, we're to empty to other people. 
And we've all got good works of service that we can do to influence people for Christ. But what drives us to explore our identity further? And what spiritual gifts can we use to serve others? And that word today is passion. Yes. What are you passionate about? What makes you laugh? What makes you cry? What makes you sing? What makes you angry? Those are all passions. And But today we're going to talk about one man that Paul mentions, one of many. Um, and so we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 25. And we're going to be talking about this man that Paul mentions. And we're going to, we're going to share his story and what we learn from it. Right above that, he, in, beginning in verse 22, uh, Paul talks about Timothy. He's talking to the church in Philippi, and he's saying, listen, y'all know my, my brother Timothy, right? And he's proved himself. He, he's like a son, right? He's, he's like a brother, and um, he has served in, with me in preaching the good news. Um, and so he talks about that. But then he goes in starting in verse 25. If you're there, say Amen. All right, verse 25. Meanwhile, I thought I should send Epaphroditus. Yes. I said it right. Good job. I've been practicing, you all, and it is yeah. a hard name to yeah. say. Yes. Epaphroditus. My tongue gets in the way every time I try to say it. Back to you. I'm just going to call him E. Is that okay? Yeah. yeah. Let, me, let, me, let me help you understand how important this is. Yes. This name Talk is, about his, his name. Epaphroditus is two Greek things, three Greek words put together. Epi, E-P-I, is, is the pre prefix, okay? But it's just using the E-P out of it for this name. And that means, like, the center... You, you ever seen somebody play darts, and there's a, there's a dart board, and then there's a bullseye in the middle? Epi means the center of that bullseye. It's the very center, center, center of something, okay? The rest of his name is Aphroditus. Does that sound like anything you've ever heard before? Aphrodite was the goddess of love and charm. Okay? So what that means is Epaphroditus's parents probably worshipped Aphrodite. And their hope was that of all the worshippers of Aphrodite, this son of theirs would be the center, center, center of the devotion that people feel. So in other words, a fully devoted person to the goddess Aphrodite, that's what this name means. So he came out not just as a Gentile, but steeped in the, the uh, religion of those who were Gentiles. But that's not what happens with E, is it? I'm gonna call him E. Yeah, that's fine, <laughs> that's fine. That's not what happens with E, right? Let's go on. In verse 25 it says, he is a true brother co-worker and fellow soldier and he was your messenger to help me in my need i am sending him because he has been longing to see you and he was very distressed that you had heard he was ill and he certainly was ill in fact he almost died but god had mercy on him and also on me so that i would not have one sorrow after another so i am all the more anxious to send him back to you for i know you will be glad to see him and then I will not be so worried about you. Welcome him in the Lord's love and with great joy and give him the honor that people like him deserve. Verse 34, he risked his life for the work of Christ and he was at the point of death 
while doing for me what you couldn't do from far away. So Paul is writing this letter to the church in Philippi while he's in prison. And one of the things that we talked about, Michael and I talked about, is that we're not 100% sure if this prison that he was in at this time was a rat hole <laughs> or if he was given some of the luxuries, but he just had no freedom. Does that make sense? So we're not really sure what the conditions were, but what we do know is that when E showed up and brought him the money from the church in Philippi. You learned that in Philippians 4. In 4, verse 18. Right. He's bringing money and other blessings to Paul from the church. What we find out is, is that somehow along the line, he becomes, he becomes sick. He becomes ill. Whether that was from the prison or whether that was from his travels, right. um, we know that he became very, very ill. But we also see here that Paul regards him like when it says true brother, that basically means like brother from another mother. <laughs> <laughs> That's right? a good way to say it. Brother from yeah. another mother. He yeah. looks at E like he is his brother, his biological brother. They are that close. And he feels that bond with him. Um, and it's funny that I decided to call him E because our son Elijah, <laughs> when he played football, um, he played football in middle school and all four years of high school. And I'll never forget the first time that I went to one of his games and they were calling him Eli. And then they went from Eli to calling him E. Yeah. Partly because he had become part of the brotherhood. Yes. Right? Of football players but also there was more than one Elijah on the team and so for the coaches not to get confused or the teammates not to get confused they would call him E or Eli so I think it's perfect that God Absolutely. said call him E for short because because if you've that ever works. been on a sports team <laughs> it becomes like a brotherhood like you're mm -hmm. all in this together it's it's just a you guys against the world. Uh, that happens sometimes uh, when you're in a certain platoon in the military. It happens, could be co-workers, and you're just suddenly, you're like, man, we've got to get this thing done, and you're working together. And that's the same kind of brotherhood that Paul is expecting from the church. And so he looks at this. The Greek literally means the first one born. Like, in other words, if Paul is the older brother, this is the brother that was born right after him. Have you ever seen two brothers that, are, that were born close together? And they're inseparable. That's that's how he feels about him there. And mm -hmm. so it, it, it gives a sense of Paul seeing Epaphroditus not just as a uh, as a guy who happened to, to bring the money or a guy, a guy who happened to represent a church. He was someone that he had bonded with very closely. That had happened, but then what, what happens later on in the story, though? Let's look a little deeper. He says... Paul says in 28, I am all the more anxious to send him back to you. But why? Go further up, a little bit further, in 26, and it says he was very distressed when he found out, when they, he found out that they knew he was ill. Okay? So what's he doing here? He's, he's not thinking about himself. He's not even thinking about Paul right at this moment. I mean, he did at the beginning, but he's not even thinking about that now that he's on his deathbed and he might die from whatever illness he had. What is he doing? He is thinking about 
the people that he left at the church in Philippi. He is selfless. And he is distressed because he can't get back to the people who sent him. I mean, it, wow. <laughs> talk about devotion, talk about love. I mean, that's just, it's selfless. It's, it's, I love you so much that I am going to bring this man of high honor, which was Paul, what he needs. But now, instead of being homesick, I'm not homesick. I'm actually worried that you're worried for me. <laughs> I mean, that's phenomenal. I mean, what a, no wonder Paul mentions him here. He's a pretty good guy. He's not just a pretty good guy. He's an amazing guy. Right? Yeah. But he literally walks into the scripture here and then walks back out. We don't hear anything more about him. But I think the value of that is this is someone who was not Peter, who also walked on water and was there when the 5,000 were fed and said to the beggar, gold and silver I do not have, but what I do have, rise and walk. He's Peter's the one who did the first sermon, all these great things. And he gets a lot of play in the scripture so that we understand how God was shaping and moving him closer and closer to the leader he needed to be to start the church. Epaphroditus is just here and he's gone. But think about this. He decided to bring, this is a dangerous road from Philippi to Rome. And he's traveling with the monetary gift of the Philippians. You think he's a target? He has decided to let himself be that target. Then he either gets sick on the way there and almost doesn't complete his mission. Or when he gets there, he's supposed to also minister to any of Paul's needs while he's there as another gift from the Philippian church. But he gets sick. And he has to recover. Now, now communication back then was not like... He, he couldn't get on Facebook and say, Hey guys, I'm feeling bad. And then, you know, so pray for me. And then later go, hey guys, I'm feeling much better. Thanks for the prayers. Letters were being sent that would take weeks to get back and forth. The Philippians had heard that he was deathly sick, but they had not heard that he recovered. And so he's now longing for them. That's where his passion is for them so that they need not worry anymore. But while he's there, Paul not only called him a brother, he called him a co-worker. That word is synergos. It means, it's like we talk about synergy in work. So how we work together in the most efficient way to bring about the best outcome. That's the kind of worker that he was with Paul. And a fellow soldier, which means he was fighting the good fight for, the, for, uh, for Paul. And Paul says, not only that he was your, he said he was your messenger, which is, the word is actually apostolos, which is where we get apostle, but it means more delegate here, like, like someone who was sent to represent them, not necessarily the apostolic office. Uh, but when he does that, he says, um, it says, he was your messenger to help me in my need. The Greek inside there uses the word liturgos, which is where we get liturgy. The idea of it is that liturgy is something that a priest would do to bring someone along in, in a religious rite. So what he's saying is, and by, by using that word, what he's saying is, he was there to serve Christ by serving me. It was a priestly duty that he brought me the funds that you sent and he was there 
to serve my needs in such a way that everyone could see that he was literally serving in a priestly duty to Christ, not just saying, hey, Paul, can I help? So his first passion, E's first passion, was actually Jesus. And because his first passion was Jesus, he didn't say, hey, you know what? Um, I happen to love travel, so can you send me on a journey? He didn't say, you know, I really love dealing with finances and stuff, so can I be like your, your financial person? He didn't say, hey, Paul, I, I just love to serve in the background. Can I just do the things that you need me to do back here? What he said was, here am I. Send me. And whatever God gave him to do, that is what he did. But he gets six verses in the Bible. And you can look at that six verses and say, man, that's nothing. Peter got two whole letters. <laughs> or you can say, wow, this person that couldn't have been known any other way was so valuable in his everyday ministry that Paul took six whole verses to tell us about him. He didn't deserve the six verses because he was a good guy. He deserved the six verses because he served Christ. So this is what we need to know. Our first passion shouldn't be our hobbies, shouldn't be our favorite things to do, shouldn't be the people that we love. Our first passion should be the mission of Jesus, serving him. Sometimes our passions get us in trouble. <laughs> One example of that is Moses. In Exodus chapter 2, Moses had a passion for his people and it actually got him into trouble. And we read how he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. And glancing this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. Now, what Moses did was wrong, right? He murdered. And the Bible does not commend his murder. But we do see... Moses' passion and his heart for his people. So we have to be careful. Just like with our spiritual gifts, right? They are gifts that are given to us, but we have to be careful and have that responsibility. We may become passionate, but don't let those passions overrule how God's going to use you That's right. for his mission. And so therefore you need to remember your first passion must be the mission of Jesus. Yeah. Most, not what you want, not what you can get out of it, but what he would want. Right? Moses got a 40-year timeout for that, for that murder. He spent 40 years away from his people because of that murder. Right? But God was using it to build him into because he, what he was trying to teach Moses is, yes, I want you to do my things, but you have to do them my way. You can't do my things your way. You have to do my things my way. 
Now let's look at some examples of people that are here on this earth that have done that. Mm. So the first thing I, I think, what's the first thing you think of when you say, when I say James Dobson? Families, right? He has a heart and a passion for families. James Dobson leads focus on the family. What about Billy Graham? The evangelism. Right away. Preaching and evangelism. What yes. about Mother Teresa? Compassion. The poor and the needy, right? Yes. Yes. She had a passion for the poor and for the needy. But what did Mother Teresa and all of those people, they weren't perfect, right? There was only one perfect person on this planet, and that was Jesus. However, what when we look at those three people, what do we see? They were always trying to put Jesus first right. in their mission, in their passion, and then the gifts that God had given them. He put a fire within them. Yes. And he said, use those gifts to my glory. And that's what we're encouraging you all to do today. Right? Because if, if, we, if we recognize like E, that the, the whole point isn't for me to have God bless what I want to do. The whole point is for our passion for Jesus to work through the passion he gives us for whatever else we're doing. Then what will happen is, first, this passion will tell us where to serve. Now, sometimes you get surprised, like we did, coming to Oklahoma from <laughs> a, a pretty good church in Indiana. And so in order for us to decide to leave a very healthy ministry, we had to know if our passion was that ministry or if our passion was the God who gave us the ministry. And because we realized, and it took God two years to, to convince us. It's not like we just woke up one day and was like, God, where do you want to send us? Oklahoma? Okay, yeah, that's right. No, he had to sneak up on us. Actually, the place was the last thing he gave us. Yes, that's right. We actually went to training with Nexus, our church planning organization, and we were the only couple in the room who didn't know where yet. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody else in the room that was there That's for right. training knew where God was placing them, and God still had not shown us yet. It was the last thing that he did, and I think for us, he did that on purpose. I do too. <laughs> I really do. Yeah. I think he wanted to make sure that our hearts were right, right. our passions were correct, and he wanted to, he was, I think in some ways he was testing us. He was making sure that we were ready yes. before he then said, okay, this is where I'm going to send you. Because where I'm going to send you is not what you expected at all. Mm -hmm. Oklahoma, where's Oklahoma? Right. <laughs> right? I mean, that was my response when God finally showed us where. Um, it was the last place that I thought he was going to send us. And if he would have told us that at the beginning instead of at the end, I don't know if we'd be here. <laughs> don't, not that I love, don't you love y'all? Yeah, I right. love y'all, but right. it's just true. It's just true, right? Just, yeah. I'm just keeping it real. It's like I, we, we, it. we knew we were going to have to go down that water slide, but we were scared to death, so we almost had to trick ourselves and like, okay, on the count of three, I'm going to go one, two, and push ourselves <laughs> under the, because we, we really didn't know where God was going to take us. But, and, and listen, so listen to that. What we're saying is we eventually got it right, but like Moses it took him years to help us understand what the right thing was. But the way that he changed us is he reminded us that our passion should not be our ministry. Our passion should be Jesus. Right. Pastor David Elvery says it in this way. 
Passion is the God-given desire that compels us to make a difference in a particular way that serves others. It gives us the direction, the motivation, and energy to make a difference for God. It helps us figure out where we are to serve. Where and who. It's a great right? quote. You know what I was just thinking? We just came back from our, our, our vacation and we were at the beach and we were at the ocean. And so we would go out into the water and for whatever reason, Daytona is usually pretty mild, but it was really choppy. We it think it was the moon. full moon. Yeah. It was a super moon two okay. nights in a row. But here's, <laughs> here's what I learned. I started going out into the ocean and those waves would hit me and they would compel me back. And then I would get a little further out and it would compel me back. But there was one point where it started to draw me out further. And I, have you ever heard of a riptide? They had warned us that there were riptides. And what a riptide does is it pulls you out away from the shore so that you can swim all you want to toward the shore from there. But in order to actually get back, you have to swim we saw down the shore. We you have saw, to swim yeah. the opposite, right? Yeah. So we what I realized was I was now being drawn out into a place that was too dangerous for me. I couldn't handle it. And so the way that I fixed that is I allowed the waves to compel me back into the place that I needed to be. And we often felt that way, like there were waves that compelled us to wear. And, and so each time that we were pushed back, we didn't know where the shore was yet, but we knew we were headed in the right direction. He was compelling us into the right place. So the first thing is this passion for Jesus tells us where to serve. But this passion for Jesus also tells us who to serve. It may be that he, imagine, imagine Epaphroditus, imagine E. This is like a dream job for a person who really believes in Jesus. He was next to Paul who had the special event on Damascus Road and became an apostle who even though he hadn't even met Jesus, he saw Jesus risen, never got to, that we know of, never got to see Jesus as a person. If he did, he didn't believe in him then. And this Paul has written all of these letters that are being shared with all of the church. And you have been sent to give him funds to help him with the ministry that he's doing. And now you get to be right beside him, seeing all the action. This is the center. This is the core. This is where everything happens. And I get to serve here. And yet, when he heard that his church back home was worried about him, it says he was deeply troubled. That's the same word that's used for Jesus when he was sweating blood in Gethsemane. When it says Jesus was deeply troubled and he was distressed and deeply troubled, those are the same words in the Greek. So he had the same longing that Jesus had for these people back here. Even though he was in the center of ministry and doing really important stuff, God showed him those people are the ones that he needs to long for. And he was sent back so that he could minister to them. This passion for Jesus can't get us so caught up that we decide for ourselves who we are and are not going to serve. Instead, when we say, here am I, send me, we are also saying to whomever you need me to send, be sent to. And that passion now, all of a sudden, what that means is I am walking through my life and every time I meet someone, it's a divine opportunity. They are made in the image of God. I am made in the image of God. And we are in the same place. 
So I didn't know this was going to work out, but we were looking today at a, another sermon. They were talking about Zacchaeus and that whole concept that Jesus is entering the city and he's planning to pass through. And as he's passing by, he looks up, he sees Zacchaeus in the tree and he says, Zacchaeus, you come down, interrupts all of his plans. He not only interrupts his plans, he says, you know what? I need to go to your house to eat. And he goes to his house to eat. And later on, he's able to say salvation has come to this house. Why? Because busy Jesus who was passing by, stopped for this little man who needed him. And we should be doing the same. This passion tells us who to serve. And who to serve is the one in front of us. When it says to love your neighbor as yourself, the literal Greek there is to love the one in front of you. So it teaches us, this passion tells us who to serve. And if he tells us where to serve and he tells us who to serve, what else is he going to tell us? How to serve. I sense, whether it be in this room or whoever's going to be listening on the radio mm -hmm. or podcast, God has laid something special on your heart that excites you. Yes. And I know you're listening to this and going, okay, that's great. You know, Pastor Carrie, Pastor Michael, you, you know, you have a passion for the jar and you have a passion for the people that come and you have a passion for Ardmore and for Oklahoma, but what's that got to do with me? And I want to read this, this story to you because you are not just somebody. You are God's child. We have shown you who your identity is. We have told you that every person, once they become a believer, is given the gift of a spiritual gift. No matter who you are, God's going to use you, okay? So I'm going to read this story. There's a story told of a water bearer in India who had two large pots, which hung on each end of a pole, which he carried across his neck. One of the pots had a crack in it. And while the other pot was perfect and always delivered a full portion of water at the end of a long walk from the stream to the master's house, the cracked pot arrived only half full. For a full two years, this went on daily with the bearer delivering only one and a half pots full of water in his master's house. Of course, the perfect pot was proud of his accomplishments. Look at me. I deliver a full pot. But the poor cracked pot was ashamed of its own imperfection. After two years of what is perceived to be a bitter failure, it spoke to the water bearer one day by the stream. I am ashamed of myself and I want to apologize to you. Why, asked the bearer, what, what are you ashamed of? He, he said, I've been unable to deliver a full load of water because this crack in my side causes water to leak out all the way back to your master's house. The water bearer felt sorry for the old cracked pot, and in his compassion he said, as we return to the master's house today, I want you to notice the beautiful flowers along the path. Indeed, as they went up the hill, the old cracked pot took notice of the sun warming the beautiful wildflowers on the side of the path, and this cheered it some. But at the end of the trail, it still felt bad because it had again leaked out half its load, and so again began to apologize for its failure. Each of us has our own unique flaws. I'm a crackpot, you're a crackpot. <laughs> There's a lot of crackpots in this room. I'm a crack jar, you're a crack jar. Amen? All of us have strongholds. Michael talked about that earlier. Strongholds are like a, 
a, uh, a handle on the side of your back. And the enemy just says, remember, you're not good enough. You're not beautiful enough. You're not bold enough. You're not strong enough. This will never work. You'll never say the right things. You'll never do the right things. You always mess up. That's what the enemy tells us. And when he pulls on that stronghold handle, our crack can sometimes get bigger or wider and we leak more water. And I'm telling you right now in the name of Jesus, he has the power to heal that crack. And if he doesn't heal the crack, okay. He has the power to use it. He's going to use the water that's in your jug. Mm -hmm. And there are going to be flowers all along that are blessed along that path because of you. You matter to him. You are his child and he will use you. You don't have to have a big name. Yes. You don't have to have CEO or pastor or lead lay leader or, you know, manager. You don't have to have all those things. Preach. You matter to him and he will use you to water the wildflowers along the path. Don't be afraid of your cracks. Don't be afraid of your strongholds. He will use them. Ask him, make him first in your passion. If you don't know what your passion is, which I very much doubt, because we all know what motivates us, ask him to take that passion and use it the way he wants you to use it. You don't have to be perfect in order for God to, to use you this actually is a, this this illustration is perfect for Epaphroditus because he was a perfect example of someone who was being used along the way to do the things that need to be done even though he might get to the end and say I failed I took that big trip and I got sick before I even got there I almost died or I failed they sent me to take care of Paul, and Paul ended up taking care of me because I got sick and I almost died. He could have looked at himself and said, what a failure. But he had done so much of God's work that when the guy who was leading a lot of the church at the time sent him back to his people, he included in the letter that he, you realize, he probably is the one who carried this letter. And the reason we have the letter to the Philippians is because he made it back to them. And Paul was so amazed by the work that he had done that he said, hey, check out these wildflowers. He's my brother. He's my fellow worker. He's my fellow soldier. He's the one who did his priestly duty to me in your stead. And when he gets to the end and he says, Verse 34, he risked his life for the work of Christ and he was at the point of death while doing for me what you couldn't do. The only thing the Philippians couldn't do was be present. Sometimes the most spiritual thing that you can do for someone else is to be present. In God's great economy, nothing goes to waste. In God's economy, nothing goes to waste. So be bold and be willing. Don't be afraid of your flaws. Come on. I always say I'm big and bold and beautiful. <laughs> God.
God made me like my daddy. Tall, with broad shoulders. Why? I asked God one day, why did you give me this figure? <laughs> why can't I be this tiny little five foot seven, right? God said, because the things that I'm going to give you, you need strong, broad shoulders for. That's right. And that's why I made you the way that you're made. And so when I struggle with my weight and when I struggle with feeling that way, like a lot of women do, I'll go to them and say, you are big and bold and beautiful because that is how God made you. So that you can carry what you need to carry and be who you need to be. Yes. If you are coming out of addiction, come on. that's your flaw. <laughs> that's your crack. Okay, don't be afraid of your flaw. Use it. Use it. Say, I am a recovering addict, but I expect God to heal me. Yes. And use your story to share with other people. Don't be afraid of your flaws. God wants to use your spiritual gifts, and he wants to use your heart, your passion for his ministry, despite our imperfections and despite our cracks. We want to thank you for listening to this episode of The Jar with Pastors Michael and Carrie Rogers. If you'd like to support our mission, you can go to www.thejarministries.net and look for the Give button in the top right. Your sponsorship allows us to continue ministering to the least of us in our great city of Ardmore, Oklahoma. Thank you so much. I am filled To be